This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled, It's Your Life, Own It. No blame, no excuses. And joining me from Texas, Dr. Lasharda Beckwith. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Dr. It's Be- a pleasure to be here. Dr. Beckwith, this is your second book. Uh, you have uh, a background of, uh, what is it? Share with my listeners why this book came out and what uh, was the motivation in putting it together. Sure. I've uh, written uh, inspirational types of material before for the last, I guess, 30 years, uh, just in speaking engagements and in writing blogs and um, just everyday kinds of stuff. I also do a thought for today uh, on various types of social media. But uh, my first book was back in 2010, and that book was When You're Happy With You. And as I was writing that book, I had a lot of material over the years of things that had happened to me uh, out in my career, in my personal life, and just uh, moving up in life, whether it was a corporate ladder or just becoming uh, a person who came into my own. So as I would counsel and mentor people, I would hear people that would... uh, asked me to mentor them, they would do some of the things I said, and others wanted information, but they never did anything. And then I would hear complaints later about not being able to live the life that I'd always dreamed of. So material over the years uh, became available to me just in my journaling, and that's how It's Your Life, Own It, No Blame, No Excuses came about. It was about stop complaining about what you say you want and do something about it. Uh, very important advice. You have a what would be termed by the general public a ministry background in addition to uh, other things that you're involved in. Oh, yeah. Uh, ministry background is kind of strong. <laughs> I'm more of a, I'm a business person, leadership expert. That's what my doctorate is in. But I've always, I have a strong Christian faith, and I've always been involved in some type of uh, activity, and I call it ministry within uh, my faith. And so that kind of drives, my faith drives a lot of what I write and what I do. You men- you also mentioned this to be an inspirational book, so it does uh, weave in some of the inspirational thoughts from ministry as well as your practical applications. I um, Practical applications would be, you know, uh, I help, I, and in fact, in the book, there's a journal, and I provide steps with people to be able to kind of evaluate, assess their lives, assess their attitudes, uh, the the way they think, uh, their thought processes, the things that have affected them uh, over the years. I try to take people back to some type of major event that may have uh, had some influence on how they think. And in ministry, I'm able to incorporate uh, the same. To me, it's no different because I see... um, Ministry and my life, they are not compartmentalized. It's all integrated together. So my faith influences everything I do, and that's at work, and that's uh, at church, or that's in the community. I have a nonprofit organization, Professional Christian Women. 
and these uh, this is an interdenominational type group and a lot of us uh, you, you know we we believe that everything we do is influenced by our faith now in in uh, companies of course you can't talk about religion or anything like that I don't know that that's necessary though I think it's all about how we live and how we love and how we treat people 264 pages 40 chapters how long did it take to to put this into print uh, dr. Beckwith Oh, gosh. Um, I started writing It's Your Life on it probably back in 2012. Um, and so, again, it was released uh, in uh, 2014. So it took me a little while to put it together because I was trying to get my thoughts together. And, again, I was pulling a lot of information from journals that I had um, uh, written in over uh, a couple of years, over several years, years actually. I had a lot of material left over from when I wrote my first book, When You're Happy With You. And I wanted the message to continue. I wanted people, first of all, to be okay with the person that they looked at in the mirror and that they were okay just because God made them that way and they didn't need to be defined by other people. It's easier said than done, but I want people to understand that. So in that book, I give people a lot of uh, encouraging words, but also exercises to to kind of help bring them out of being defined by other people. And in the second book, It's Your Life, Own It, No Blame, No Excuses, it's about, okay, now, let's take that next step. Let's not... Uh, allow what's happened in our past, Not let's not allow uh, our minds or other people to say to us, okay, you can't do that, and you say, okay, I can't do that because somebody else has said so. It's you. It's your life. And so live the life that you you deserve. Live the life that God has put in front of you. So don't make excuses about it. Don't blame others. It's my skin color. It's because I'm a woman. It's because I don't have an education. It's because, because, because. No, none of those things matter. What matters is that you believe in yourself and you take hold of that belief and move forward with it. Would you describe your book as uh, something that would appeal to a broad audience? I know you have mentioned faith and uh, that as a foundation in your own personal life and also have referred to it some in your book. But really, your book is uh, it, it, it has a wider spectrum of audience than that, does it not? It absolutely does. And I think because when people see me, I know that uh, when folks read about me or they see me and stuff, they may think that what I do is minister to women, but that's not the case. When I'm speaking to large groups, it's a group of mixed gender. And I believe that any person that struggles with uh, feeling in, uh, in feeling insecure or inferior, I hate using that word inferior, but right. feeling less than, feeling that they just can't do it, uh, they can't rise above. I believe that the, the book really will resonate with those kinds of folks, anybody. The second thing is, is that I'm real careful about, um, certainly my faith comes out in the book, but I'm very careful about only talking religion because that's not what I'm about. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe, uh, you know, I'm a believer, but I recognize that there are many people that are not. And so I think the way I've kind of written this book would be for any person that would pick it up and say, okay, that makes sense. And they may not be a believer, and that's okay. Fantastic. Your uh, chapter two caught my attention, Lottery Anyone. What is that chapter about, and how does that (laughs) appeal to people? 
Well, see, that's one chapter I think anybody can relate to. Uh, the chapter is about, uh, and actually, <laughs> it's about uh, something that, uh, a joke between me and my husband. My husband buys lottery tickets all the time. I <laughs> never buy lottery tickets. And I can be really judgmental about people that buy lottery tickets. And I, uh, I tend to, when I hear folks talk about buying lottery tickets, um, and they just can't can't move forward without going to get a lottery ticket every day or every week, whenever it is. Hmm. My thing is, is that you know, if you're always waiting for you, you're you're waiting to win the lottery, or you're waiting, you know, for your ship to come in, and you're waiting for these by chance things to happen, you could be waiting a very very long time. So work hard. Put some goals in place. Get out there and put some feet to those goals and start moving towards those. And, yeah, if you buy a lottery ticket and you just happen to win, good. But I don't sit back waiting, uh, believing that I'm going to win the lottery. And so what I do in that chapter is I show statistics about, uh, you know, the amount of money that's spent on lottery tickets every year and, uh, you know, how people could just be taking those simple dollars and in, and investing those dollars back into really building wealth and living the life that they want rather than wasting it on lottery tickets. Now, I make it a point to say I'm not judging people, and I hope I don't come across like that. I'm not judging people that buy lottery tickets, but we have to determine whether or not we're going to live a life of chance. Okay, one day I'll win the lottery or a life of productive action. I'm going to plan out some of the things that I want to achieve in life, and these are the steps that I'm putting in place to keep me focused and keep me on point towards that goal. And Dr. Beckwith, your early life, there must have been someone or something that motivated you to be a positive person. Uh, Were you always positive, or is that something that you learned to become? I I believe, I would love to say that I was always positive. I think that it was a learned uh, behavior, and I say that because I don't ever remember remember being negative, but I will tell you this, and this this comes about in my first book. I, my mother died. She was 28 years old. I had I was forced to go and live with my grandparents. I was raised by, by you know older grandparents that were strong Pentecostal faith based people, and so I resented a lot of that. And I did have an attitude and blamed God for taking my mom away so soon. My father was never around. My the father that I knew was my grandfather, and so uh, I don't want to say that I was always a positive person. But somewhere along the line, um, you know, I started to change. And I think this is it. You know, in high school and different places where people could have spoken life into me, could have encouraged me, um, I really didn't have that until I ran into a coach, Regina Hall, and she had, and she's in my book, uh, who just took an interest in me, and she was just wonderful. And she did encourage me, and I wanted to be just like her. Hmm. So. I don't know when I changed, but somewhere along the line, I started to believe that, you know, I could do it. And so I just started to, and I felt, and maybe this is the answer to your question, because I didn't have that except for my grandparents, of course. Somewhere along the line, when I started to accomplish things and could see that I could do it, I just felt that I wanted to do that for other people that wouldn't have that. So people that may have felt disenfranchised or felt that 
nobody cares about me. Nobody's going to want to see me successful. So I wanted to be that person that would speak that type of life into them. And maybe that was my, my moment of uh, change there. Phenomenal. You have coined the word booms. What does that mean, and how are my listeners going to benefit from booms? Well, booms, those are bold obstacles that you're overcoming. You know, that's what booms are. It's. I think uh, people think that when they go through something that, they're the only ones that are going through it. And that's just not the case. We have all faced something that's just overwhelming, these obstacles that we feel like can't be moved. But if we would put in, if we would just kind of put those obstacles into perspective, I say, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You take mm-hmm. one little piece at a time. Uh-huh. So when we see these these major obstacles that just seem immovable, we we freeze. We we feel like nobody else understands, and I can't possibly get over this. But you can. If you think about something major that's happened in your life, we've all had these. They're overwhelming initially, but guess what? You're still standing today. Somehow you got through it. Somehow you did. Either you had this inner strength that said, I'm not going to, I'm I'm just not going to back down from this. Or you had, maybe it's your faith. Maybe it's a person. Maybe you just had this inner resolve that said, I am going to overcome this, whatever it was. And I'm not saying that we don't get knocked down. Of course we get knocked down. And I'm not saying that we don't ever get discouraged. Of course that happens. But I want people to understand that booms happen to all of us, and we can overcome those. But you gotta, you got to stand firm. I don't even mind the person falling down and saying, oh, my God, I can't take this. Fall down for a minute, but get on back up, brush yourself off, and say, okay, now what? And just keep moving. Me and some girlfriends, we have this joke, and one of the things we say, keep, keep it moving. And what that means is just, you know what, no matter what happens, Keep moving. Keep going. Keep the momentum going. Just keep moving. What are the four C's of your foundational aspects of uh, inspiring people to uh, to succeed? Okay, so people that don't believe probably will dismiss Christ, but I'm going to tell you what my four C's are. My four yeah. C's will always be Christ, uh, overcoming challenges, um, uh, making sure that you understand the importance of being uh, committed and consistent, those types of things. Uh, if you having courage, so I, for me, everything starts with Christ. Everything. My faith is important, and I don't mean that just to say, "Oh, I'm a Christian." I mean that seriously. So I take my day serious. When I get up in the morning, my first fruits, as as you would say, or as some believers understand what I'm saying, what that means is that. I start my day giving thanks to God, giving thanks to Jesus Christ for just uh, the beauty of seeing another day. And I say, number two, we all have challenges, no matter what, it goes back to those booms. So you can't let those challenges overtake you. Just recognize them for what they are and move forward. you got to have the courage to be able to do that, though. My courage comes from my number one, Christ. So I recognize challenges happen. I have the courage to take risks. I'm not a, I'm not adverse to taking risks. I recognize that I can fail. 
and you gotta be, you gotta have enough courage to say, you know what, I'm gonna try this thing, and it may fail, but that's okay. And then I say that regardless of all all of the things I've just mentioned, those first three, if you are not committed and consistent, doesn't even matter because the minute the wind blows a different way, you may say that it's okay. I got Christ. You may say that okay, everybody faces challenges. You may say that I'm 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 a person that I I'm a person with courage and I'm I'm going to overcome my fear. But if every time something harder comes up and you give up and run to the hill, then it, it just doesn't matter. So there must be consistency and commitment uh, for all of these things to be be able to move you towards those things in life that you want to own. And I don't mean just material things, even owning your own attitude, owning your your emotions, your state of mind, those types of things, all of those things will drive the material piece, the physical piece. I believe that. You, you know, successful people are tenacious people. They're people that don't give up when the going gets tough. And so that's all a part of that, to me, positive mental attitude. The title of the book, It's Your Life, Own It. No blame, no excuses. My guest has been Dr. Lasharnda Beckwith. Where do we get copies of your book, Dr. Beckwith? You can get my book at Amazon and BarnesandNobles.com. You can get it from the publisher, AuthorHouse.com. You can literally go to almost any website and, and order the book. For people that are in the Watsahatchee, Texas area, you can go to the bookstore out at Southwestern AG University. Uh, the book is there. So there's just a multitude of places you can get it. Or they can contact me at uh, www.LashondaBeckwith.com. And certainly they can get a book there for me. Fantastic. And let me spell your name for those who may not quite get it. It's L-A-S-H-A-R-N-D-A, last name B-E-C-K-W-I-T-H, and put a doctor in front of that, and you'll uh, be able to access the website. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. I know there's going to be another motivational book in the future. It just sounds like you have lots of energy and lots of uh, desire to, to, to share. <laughs> I do. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. Pleasure visiting with you for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, All quilters, just like you, call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled A Touch of the Underworld. And our author, Dr. David Trucker, joins me from, I think it's Wisconsin. Is that correct, sir? Correct. Uh, We are in a town called Hudson, 
Wisconsin on the St. Croix River across from the state of Minnesota. Fantastic. Well, it's great to visit with you. You have a very uh, colorful and interesting past. You were an actual medical doctor and began uh, studying for medical uh, career in the uh, 50s, if I am understanding your resume correctly. Your resume is about four or five pages long and has some wonderful sidesteps. This book uh, talks about something that's a little bit more unique about your family history. Share with my listeners why and what this title is all about. Well, A Touch of the Underworld, uh, actually, I did not come out with this information until about uh, two years ago when I started writing the book. I had accumulated many notes, and also what I did is took a lot of information from the book The Silent Syndicate by Messick in 1966, which gave the history of the development of the Mafia and the underworld in America, and what I did is went back to my roots in Cleveland and the association that my own family had with the four members and the Cleveland Syndicate, which essentially developed the prototype for the mafia in America. People think it started in New York and Chicago, and it didn't. The so-called underworld system really and truly started in Cleveland, and, of course, was blessed, along with my family, by prohibition. Probably the most wonderful thing that ever happened to my relatives, because it gave everybody a very lucrative living. My family were not mafia members, but they worked for the mafia. My father was an architect and was of Anabaptist origin, which means you judge no human being, and therefore he dealt with people honestly, no matter who they were. And I had an aunt who really had minimal education, but got into real estate at the right thing at the right time when the big boys hit Cleveland, originally from the Soviet Union, and then from Italy and Ireland, and made a lot of money quickly and needed a place to live. And my aunt got into real estate at that time and developed with them the magnificent homes of the greater Cleveland area, particularly Shaker Heights right. and uh, other surrounding areas. And also other family members uh, had business associations. And then I ended up uh, being associated with many of the children of these um individuals in their various capacities, most of them were lieutenants hmm. of the original big movement, but uh, others, for example, Angelo Milano uh, went to with, me, with me to college for a year, and the Milano brothers were major, major roles in the development of the true mafia in America in Cuba. You uh, waited until you had hit retirement age, or what most people would call retirement age, but didn't retire, actually, and decided to write your book. You've written other articles and been a part of other uh, publications as well. Is that also correct? Well, that's true. Um, most of, just about everything that I've done in the past, articles and movies, I did the uh, many of the initial training films for firemen and policemen in rescue and things of that nature, but 
I also wrote a children's book about four years ago, uh, which made, to make people think I was a nice guy, and it worked. <laughs> and then, uh, actually, this book, which uh, came out in February, Touch of the Underworld, even my own children, of which there are six of them, did not know about any of this stuff until I told them six months ago. And uh, it's been really interesting to see the reactions, some favorable, some not so favorable. Right. But uh, and one of the reasons I waited is I didn't want to damage my career or the careers of my six children. And actually, they're all in their 50s now and very successful. They could care less, uh, you know, about my previous connections, although it does have some influence on their questions to me. How did you become a doctor? Why was the medical profession important to you? How did you get started or interested in pursuing that career initially? Well, that, that's a good question because uh, actually, uh, when I, after I got out of what you call reform school, where I did extremely well academically, uh, I wanted, it was during the Second World War, I wanted to go to West Point. And I wanted to be a fighter pilot because in those days there was no Air Force. It was Army, Air Corps, Navy, Air Corps, Marine, Air Corps, Coast Guard, etc. So I went to and took the West Point examination and passed it except for vision. In those days you couldn't wear glasses. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have 20-20 without glasses. So they flunked me out there. So I just went up the road to New London, Connecticut, to the Coast Guard Academy, applied there where I could be both a pilot and a sailor, was accepted and the war ended. So I figured, well, I gotta do something. And I got interested uh, for a long story via uh, a friend in medicine and it started from there. I went to medical school and took internship and general surgery in Chicago. And then much to my surprise, since I was not a genius, I got accepted at Harvard in Mass General, which was the top orthopedic program in the nation at the time. And so my career really has been in orthopedic surgery, both military and civilian. Incredible. You uh, mentioned also in your book about slot machines and uh, how they impacted Cleveland. How is Yeah, in fact, my sister... Um, three years older than myself, a retired nun is here, and we were out for dinner last night, and she brought up the story, and I didn't even know she <laughs> knew it. Uh, I went with the daughter of the slot machine king, and I really liked this girl. And uh, for her high school prom at a Catholic school in Akron, uh, I was invited by her to go, and so I went. And we went in this big fancy car and came home. And my sister, the nun, came out to help me, let me out of the car. Mm -hmm. The door was so heavy, she couldn't open her closet. And she went in and told my parents, well, you know, I couldn't see through the window, Mom. And the door was so heavy, I couldn't close it. Well, it didn't take long for my parents to figure, bulletproof car. Ooh. And they said, okay, boy, away you go and I was sent away to boarding school. Amazing. What in your, your history, your recounting of the touch, a touch of underworld, 
What surprised your family the most about the story that you shared? Anything on a personal level? Um, well, like uh, a daughter brought it up last night, and uh, because it just happens that there's a lot of family stuff going on now, and she said, and I didn't bring it up. She said, you know, we think of mafia as nothing but killing people. I said, read the book. The book is an historical document, extremely important. When Messick wrote the original book, Silent Syndicate, he did it in such a fashion that it was a historical development of the underworld in America. He brought out both the good and the bad things. Mm. Now, let me just point out something that a lot of and most Americans don't know, but the Mafia has also played many essential roles in America. During the Second World War, uh, the American Defense Division Department in Washington simply could not cover all of the tasks, and therefore they tasked the Mafia on the East Coast to not via the unions to both prevent and detect espionage. So in essence, they were working with the federal government at that time, hardly what you would call a diabolical entity. Also, there were many, many economic advantages developed by the underworld in the United States, and probably one of the more interesting was the national communication system which was the first national system of instant communication in America developed by the underworld to contact bookies. Hmm. In other words, if an issue came up or something and the odds changed, they had to be able to, able to get a hold of the bookies immediately. So they developed the first national communication system before ABC NBC or CBS. You know, people don't know that. That's uh, that's a new one that I had not heard of either. Now, Dr. Yeah. Trucker, how long did it take to get the facts together and do the research to get this book published? Well, it took me about uh, three years to get the research together, and it took me a year to get the, get the book published. And um, uh, actually, I'm starting now. The first book relates to the Cleveland Syndicate, the prototype, which, which eventually became, as it spread throughout the America, uh, the Mafia, known as the Mafia. Okay, but there were good and bad components to the Mafia. I don't d- deny that. And the first book deals with the history and the development in America and the relationship of my family to these components. Mm-hmm. The second book, of which I have over 400 notes, and will start next month, is the history of my life. And I hope, I plan on releasing that three days before I die. <laughs> uh, then I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> but I hope that's you, many years well, off. It will be absolutely unbelievable. Even my children and family members would have no idea of the double life I lived and the things I did and the way I did them and yet converted a whole life at the same time into a highly productive entity as a physician both in military and civilian life. 
Uh, Dr. Trucker, this is a, a different type of book uh, reaching or touching on the underworld. Uh, who do you think is going to find this fascinating to read? You know, that's a good question because that's come up several times. I, as samples, have delivered books to teenagers that I know, young adults, male and female, and older people of all educational levels. I only had one person that really thought that it didn't meet certain religious standards. However, I had a minister, uh, a, a minister read it. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a psychologist read it, and both of them thought it was very good. In fact, the psychologist said that it was not only an historical document, but very entertaining, and he called the book a page-turner, Yes, a, ter a term that I'd never heard before. Oh, yeah. He said he started reading it and couldn't set it down. It is conversational in style. The title of the book, again, is A Touch of the Underworld, and our author, Dr. David Trucker, has joined me today and has shared his insight into his family connections to the underworld as a young guy growing up. Dr. Trucker, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? It's available everywhere. In other words, uh, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Arthur House, any bookstore can get it for you. Most of the people that I know have gotten it from Amazon.com. And you do have a book that's about to come out in the future, and you mentioned to me before we began interviewing that you have some other projects on the burner. Uh, the, the, the next book, which is about my own life, uh, and also will deal with the celebrities that I've treated over the years as a physician, such as Elizabeth Taylor, Arthur Godfrey, Clayton Moore, who was a Lone Ranger, mm -hmm. Elvis Presley, and Wilta Silk Chamberlain, just to mention a few. Phenomenal. Well, you're a name dropper, but I, I enjoyed the names you dropped. Thank you for sharing that. The book, again, The Touch, A Touch of the Underworld. Dr. David Trucker has been my guest. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Best of luck on this book and the books in the future. Enjoyed visiting with you, and uh, we hope to visit with you again. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. 
Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Parents for Sale. And our author, Dr. Nicole Odette, who joins me from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, has uh, also authored several other books that are in the children's realm. I welcome her to the program today. Welcome, Dr. Odette. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. You are a physician, but also a prolific author. How many books have you written? So far, I have written uh, 15 uh, children's books and one health guide for uh, adults. And uh, I have a lot of success in uh, in Quebec. In Quebec. And you have uh, been an author for a while then to have written that many books. This is your latest edition, Parents for Sale. This is in English. The others are in French, your native uh, language uh, for Quebec. Uh, where did Parents for Sale, how did this uh, concept come together for you? This concept, I was inspired by my uh, own sons because I bought them a golden retriever uh, many years ago, and they told me, Mom, we will take care of the dog. And I said, okay, uh, so I bought the dog. But a few weeks after, they didn't, they didn't uh, take care of the dog. So um, I said, okay, I will sell the dog. So they, but they were crying, crying. So I decided to keep the dog because the, this dog was part of the family. So I, w- I was inspired by this story uh, to write this uh, this story, this fiction about parents for sale, and the the, the twins that are in the story. They have a dog. They don't take care of them. Their parents threaten them to sell the dog, and they switch the sign, dog for sale, for parents for sale, uh-huh. and they have big problems after. Uh, after do, doing that, the, the inspiration then is a uh, personal family history. But, yes. But what yes. is what is the underlying theme of this? There, there must be a, an ulterior motive to writing this. What was it? I always wanted to write books, and uh, I wanted to uh, go beyond the the French and Quebec uh, market for books. I wanted to to have a book in English to go all over the world. So uh, uh, a representative from other house called me and we discussed about my project and I decided to translate, edited, and publish Parents for Sale uh, with the success uh, I know. What is the moral of the story? You, you obviously had uh, a reason for getting a message across. What was that message? Or is it just one of entertainment? There's, uh, I think there's three main messages for this uh, book. This book is a huge lesson about responsibility when you have a pet. The other one is teaches uh, children to be careful be- before dealing with strangers. Do not open your door to strangers. Do not uh, accept fabulous offer because uh, in my book, the the, uh, the fairy of orphans come with uh, $300, but as they take the money, she became the witch. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's, a, it's a good lesson for them to, to be careful with any uh, strangers. And finally, it shows how parents and lovers are important in your life. And they do not worth to sell them or <laughs> to any money because the lo- loving from your parents are so important. 
Absolutely. The name of the uh, of the puppy or the dog or the other character in this book is Pistachio, and the uh, twins are Luke and Lucy. Now, there is uh, probably some complications in writing a book of any type, but this one only is uh, 44 pages. How long did it take to write the storyline? But the most important aspect of sharing a story like this is also the illustrations. The illustrations were those complicated to get done. Yes, it. Even if this is very short, 44 pages, as you said, it took me about five years to write it, okay? Because I edited, edited, and edited again. And my point, I wanted to have a book that makes a transition from picture books to chapter book. That's why I uh, I asked uh, House to have 10 color illustrations. At the end of each chapter, very short chapters, one or two pages, there is a color illustration. Mm. So the kids who do not like, because I'm a family physician, and most of boys or girls after second grade, they don't like, they say, oh, I don't like to read. But if there's some color illustration, they look at the, the book, and they want to, to read the, the story. So I think there was a need for this kind of book that makes the transitions between picture book and chapter book. It it is unique in that the story is separate from the pictures. The photos are the, not the picture. The the illustrations themselves are completely separate from the text. A lot of yes. children's books in, integrate the text and photos or the pictures, the illustrations into a single page. This is a unique approach. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to to have. This kind of approach, the the as you said, is their the first chapter book, so they have to read all the chapter, and then they have the illustrations to 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 uh, to help them to understand the concept. And when you have a, an illustration, it gives you um, it gives you a sh- chance to reduce the words to describe everything because they can see uh, if, if if it's a living room you don't have to describe uh, the, the the scene because it's all in the on the illustration beautifully done have there been outside recognition for your books for this book in particular parents for sale yes i received a five star from the reader's favorite organization and uh, uh, I received a honorable uh, mention from the Dragonfly Book Awards and the New York Book Festivals. That's incredible. You also have been getting some pretty nice reviews on Amazon. Yes, yeah, so far I received uh, 42 reviews, and most of them are positive. And uh, I, I'm very happy with this success. How is it you have the time to do this creative process? Uh, being a physician, a family physician, that must take a lot of your time. Do you have a specific time of day that you write, or is this just something that comes by inspiration and you uh, you get to it and and flesh out a story from that point? No, it's uh, very important in my life, writing, because uh, when I was young, I wanted to be a writer. And uh, one day, I wrote a book, uh, a story written by a doctor. And I said, oh, I will be a doctor and a, f- and a writer. So I decided I was 10 years old. Wow. 
and I started to write and write. I send many stories and many books to editors. I receive only refuses, <laughs> reject, and but I said no. I continue. And in Canada, uh, I have in French. I have I created a a character, Felix, who has a magical. Um, doctor's suitcase with nine living instruments and Felix helps his uh, friends to take care of their lives, vaccination, allergies and so it it's come from uh, from my heart, from my passion but it, it's also uh, unique. This series is unique because there's nothing to explain all the the medicine and uh, uh, diseases to kids with a tail. It's a very very creative. If you go and look in my website, you will see all the characters of this uh, magical suitcase. The and it, it's one of my objectives to being more well known all over the world. Is maybe it could be translated and distributed everywhere. Beautiful concept. You have you have uh, obviously been influenced by someone other than an author. What was it that motivated you as a young person to read and to pursue this passion? Was there anything or anyone? I think it's my father. Mm. My father, I told him I'd, I'd like to be a writer. And he told me, Nicole, if you want to be a writer, read, 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 and read again. And when you will like a sentence, just write it down, and he gave me a book. So I, I made a collection <laughs> of nice and beautiful sentences. So I, And uh, it keeps me uh, um, reading like this. And when I was uh, young, we have our uh, summer, uh, we passed our, all our summer in a, in a cottage, but there was no uh, television, and there was a lot, a lot of books. So I read all of them, and uh, uh, Walt Disney, I think, was my um, the man who inspired me the most. I love to write, to, to see all the illustrations. I can't do them myself, but I said, okay, I will write story, and uh, uh, professional illustrators will make a nice drawing for my uh, stories, and th that's my inspiration. It's beautiful. Is there any possibility that you have uh, harbored a desire to have some of your stories translated into an animation or an animated series? It's uh, yes. It's, <laughs> it's my it's my wish for sure, and uh, yes, uh, I would like to because all of them could be uh, parents for, for sale. Could be a fabulous a uh, movie. It, we we could add some more, uh, go deeper in the characters, uh, add some more uh, action in in each scenes, and it could be a movie. And for the um, Felix and Boo Boo, it could be a series. And for my health guide, who was with my most popular book in Quebec, it could be translated in many languages. 
I can I can see that uh, personally. I mean, I, from a from a creative standpoint, I can see that as a a strong possibility, maybe even a probability. I hope you you are successful in getting that accomplished. This particular book, your latest, uh, I guess this is number sixteen, perhaps. Parents yes. for sale. Doctor Nicole Odette has been my guest. Doctor Odette, how do my listeners get a cure? Uh, get their own personal copy of your book. Okay, they can go on the Amazon. Or they can go to um, com and they look in the search uh, uh, for my book, Parents for Sale. Are you also pursuing another storyline and a follow-up to this particular book with these characters? I hope so. I'm working on that. Uh, but my next book with Otto House will be next fall. It's a bedtime, uh, bedtime story, uh, who ate uh, Xavier's lunch. It's a, it's a young boy who is going to the zoo, and uh, <laughs> his lungs, lunch is missing at the um, lunchtime, so he will try to, to see who ate his lunch. Imaginative concept, and thank you again for sharing your story. You do have a website. Spell out your name for my listeners so they can contact you or get in contact with you about your other books, if you will. My website is www.nicoleaudet.com. Excellent. Thank you for joining me today and sharing the background story of this particular book, Parents for Sale, and uh, also your other endeavors. Uh, you sound like you have a very full but enjoyable life, so it's a pleasure visiting with you. Look forward to visiting with you in the near future. Thank you very much. Honored to visit with you. For Author House, this is Jay Douglas Barker.